where his nephew is watching wrestling and Shardle asks him who his favorite film heroine is. Uh-huh. And the nephew says Tiger Shroff. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, kid. <laughs> and I was like, what does this little boy and Katie have in common? <laughs> Girls Talk Bollywood. I'm Kim. And I'm Katie. And we're here to talk about singing and dancing and Bollywood boys and girls. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The whole Bollywood bunch. And I wanted to give a particular shout out to Bollywood dads today because we are recording on Father's Day. So woot, woot. always fun to see our, our Bollywood boys who are also Bollywood dads posting about their dads and being dads. It's great. <laughs> See, I like that that's where you went because I went to Anupam Kerr. <laughs> Shout All out to our you, dads. sir. Anupam Kerr. <laughs> All of our Bollywood dads, both on screen and off. That's really funny. I love that. But what we're mostly here to talk about today is, but hey, don't, but mm-hmm. hey, don't. Which is the last of our LGBTQ plus movies. Yeah. Uh, and I think we went out on a on a solid note here. I do too. It felt like a little bit of like a safe movie, but yeah. also sweet and genuine. I agree. I felt like they did a good job of making it clear that there is a struggle for Mm -hmm. people in India who are in the LGBTQ plus community in however they identify, while also making it feel very real and like it was not entirely about that. Because even though that's where a lot of the source of conflict is, it was an undercurrent and then there was all this other stuff kind of happening alongside that, which I enjoyed. I agree. It felt more like it was about, like, friendship and community. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like we got a different aspect of what it is to live as a queer person. And also a great relationship that develops between our two leads Mm -hmm. that's obviously not a romantic relationship since they would not have fallen in love with each other. But I love looking at where their relationship started versus where it ended. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. I really liked it. Yeah, me too. It was a a good movie. And it stars Rajkumar Rao and Bhumi Pednikar. Also want to give a shout out to Chum Durang, uh, who played Rim Jim, and uh, Gulshan Devaya. I'm not totally sure how to pronounce that. Uh, But he played Guru. Yeah, I don't think I've seen Bhumi Pednikar in anything before. Yeah. I really liked her. Yeah, she's a really talented actress, and it seems like she's having quite a moment right now. Like, she's been in, in a lot of stuff recently. She was in SMZS. Yeah, she ha- she did the cameo where they she was their, the friend who they saved and, and oh, right. helped go on her elopement. Also, I loved Rajkumar Rao's mustache. It was a great mustache. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was looking good. Yeah. <laughs> Adorable. I was just like, I think I think this is my, like, preferred version of you. Wow, okay. I don't really care about the muscles, but yeah, the mustache. the mustache was the preference. Yeah, yeah, which I don't usually say that about people <laughs> and mustaches. So that really, it goes a long way. 
coming from you. Yeah. <laughs> I should probably also mention that this movie was directed by Harshavardhan Kolkarni and written by Suman Adhikari. And what a delight. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone did a good job with this. And I, I think that they came to it with a lot of compassion. It's just nice to see two gay people represented who aren't stereotypes. Yes. Always good to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Two yeah. thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Shall we dive into the plot? We shall. Okay. Let's do it. Right out the gate in this movie, we get to the heart of the plot, which is familial pressure on relationships. Yeah. Um, we start with the family of Shardul Takar, who are finally conceding to letting him marry a Muslim woman. Shardul is not there. He's not mm -hmm. in the room with his family at the time. He's at the gym. <laughs> yep. um, we meet Shardul. He is a buff, mustachioed cop. Uh, he has invented a romance with a Muslim co-worker, knowing that his family wouldn't approve of him marrying a Muslim woman to get them off his back about getting married. When they call him at work and they tell him that they're on board with him doing this, he's like, well, uh, she actually already married someone else. You um, took so long to you decide. Took too long. Yeah, exactly. So long, in fact, that she has like a seven-year-old son. Um, and then we're seeing somebody scrolling through a bunch of women's dating profiles. Yeah. It's our leading lady, Suman, who goes by Sumi, and we see that she has been using this app and messaging with a woman named Raju. Um, Sumi is a PE teacher, she lives with her parents and her younger brother, and her family is also desperately trying to marry her off. Um, but whenever a prospect of hers comes up, she tells the person that she's cursed because she was once engaged and her fiancé died two weeks before the wedding. Yeah, not a bad thing. <laughs> To get people off your back, you know? It's really not, yeah. I, at first I was like, this must be like a joke or a lie, but no, that actually happened to her. <laughs> yeah. We also see, as we're being introduced to Sumi, that she and her dad are close, and this is shown mm -hmm. through them like having pretty casual conversations with one another. She's like encouraging him to cheat on her mom, which is yeah. a great, super healthy relationship between the well, two. Well, her mom's also doing like this... <laughs> vow of silence yeah she kind of comes in and out of this vow of silence that she's taken <laughs> yeah mom seems dramatic she does she yeah but so sumi eventually agrees that to meet up with raju this woman she's messaging on this app but when she goes to the cafe it turns out that she has been catfished mm -hmm. um, and raju is a man and yeah. sumi leaves immediately once this man reveals himself and also feels like not just a man but like Feels like a younger man. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. So um, it's creepy on several levels. It's very creepy. Nothing about it is cool. She leaves immediately, but this man starts stalking her. He's mm -hmm. following her around. He somehow gets her phone number. Um, he finds out that her dad owns a Xerox store, and so he goes to the store and he's hassling her there. Um, and basically he's blackmailing her saying, I met you because you were on a women's dating site. I'll tell your family about you unless you have sex with me. <sighs> Which is... Ew. Yeah, super disturbing. And, like, makes you worry, like, do people actually do that? I had that same thought. I'm sure it is something that happens because... Why, it, yeah. Why else would they kind of have this story to tell? 
Um, That's awful. And it's one of the things that I think was done really well in this movie is including these very real occurrences of seriousness, but mm-hmm. it, the movie is not a drama, but yeah. it's still taking those moments seriously. Yeah. Um, a lot of the, the issues like this were, were well handled. Anyway, Sumi goes to the police to file a complaint with Shardul. And Shardul does end up finding Raju, and he uses what don't seem like totally legal police methods to, like, <laughs> nope. lightly torture him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and so Shardul, like, meets up with Sumi outside the school where she works, and he's like, don't worry, the situation's been taken care of. But then he starts being weird. Yeah. <laughs> and he's acting in a way that definitely comes across to Sumi as flirtatious and creepy, yeah, like, you got rid of one stalker, and now here's another one. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And that's what her fear is, and she does end up eventually confronting him, because he kind of, like, he's sort of following her around now, too. Um, <laughs> so she confronts him, which is super brave for her to do that. But she's like, listen, I came to you to report a stalker. You're the police. Like, there's no safe space for women. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, and Shardle's like, no, no, I'm not stalking you. I just, I I have a proposition for you, essentially. Uh, And he explains that Raju revealed to him how it was that he came to know about Sumi, and Shardul starts to kind of stumble over his words, but eventually he is able to reveal that he is gay. He could, like, barely even say the word gay. It's hard, hard for him to even articulate that. But so he is proposing that they enter into a lavender marriage? But basically, they'll be living together as roommates, they'll be getting their families off their backs, but they won't be in an actual marriage. They won't be having any sort of relationship with one another beyond that. And Sumi, she's clearly uncomfortable at first, but once he makes this confession, she becomes a lot softer with him. She, like, offers him some water, and she's like, okay, I I see where this guy's coming from. But she's not immediately on board, and so she's like, how can I be sure that you're gay? And Shardul's like, well, I don't have a certificate or anything (laughs) but why would i say that i am if i'm not um that's true it's it's a good point he also is like listen if you marry me you'll be under my protection and then he proudly like pats his arm where he's got his police badge attached i think that moment's super cute it's Mm -hmm. like that little smile as he pats his bicep because he's also very proud of his body yes he is that was adorable (laughs) anyway so Sumi agrees to this, and the next thing we see, we're at their wedding, and we get the title track of Badhaido. That's It's going to be my pick for my favorite song. It's a fun one. It's a very fun one. I love that Shardul just, like, he can't help himself. Like, even though this is a sham marriage, he's like, I gotta dance. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have a good time. Yeah, and he does have an excellent time. Yeah, I like the mix of their personalities because yes. he's, like, kind of goofy and she's definitely more serious. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's fun to see them, that play off of each other. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And I like that there are some little moments of awkwardness between them. And there's a part <laughs> where he's, like, dancing and she's kind of, like, looks at him and he sort of stops, like, oh, okay, I gotta <laughs> compose myself. But then she starts dancing and he's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> it's very sweet. After they get married, Sumi and Shardul go on their honeymoon. They've got two separate rooms at the hotel. Um, Sumi asks him if he wants to explore with her, but Shardul is like, actually, I'm waiting for my boyfriend, Kabir. And she's Mm. like, oh, great, you're on a real honeymoon. (laughs) Um, So she goes off and she does her own thing. But when she gets back to the hotel, she finds that Shardul has been, like, drinking in his room all day because Kabir never came. 
Um, and so he asks Sumi to stay and talk with him. And, and he's saying how nice it is that he can actually talk about Kabir with her. He's never really gotten to be himself in that way around anyone. And so Sumi asks him if he always wanted to be a police officer. He says no, he wanted to be Mr. India. Yeah. <laughs> and then he takes off his shirt. <laughs> yeah, and they still don't really know each other. No. <laughs> at this point. And so, yeah, it's a little alarming. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. But it is very much just to show off his body. Yep. Um <laughs> And Sumi is not impressed. She no. is just, like, giggling behind her hand this whole time, which is great. Because he's flexing in all he's, the different yeah. poses. He's like, see my back? Like, see my traps? <laughs> see my whatever the this muscle is, the, like, hip muscle that uh-huh. so many guys have? The iliac furrow. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds like the name of a character from A Court of Thorns and Roses. <laughs> I mean, it could be. What was it? The Iliac Pharaoh? Iliac Furrows. Furrows. Or also known as Apollo's Belt or the Adonis Belt. <laughs> See, my friends and I in high school, we just called it the Man Muscle. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I know. It's like you say it and then you're like, hmm. <laughs> I wish I hadn't said that. But uh, back to the movie. Poor Shardul, the year that he was set to enter the Mr. India competition was actually the year his dad died. So he Mm -hmm. wasn't able to do it. And that's how he then ended up starting to work as a cop. Um, But then he says that he fears the police more than the criminals do because of his sexuality. That was like this really sweet, vulnerable moment. Yeah. Because we we see throughout the course of the movie that he's definitely more lenient on gay people that he encounters. Yes. Like out on the beat mm-hmm. than like his fellow cops are. And so there's this clear struggle that he's having with the institution I work for is against who I who am. I am. Yeah. He he clearly struggles with not being able to fully belong mm-hmm. in any of the communities that he wants to belong to but his boyfriend kabir does arrive the next day um we see he's a much younger man Um, yes he's working on his mba uh, and we get a montage of the three of them all hanging out together we even see shardel kissing kabir's cheek when he's you know ascertained that no one is looking and sumi she seems a little like envious of their love like maybe it's something she might want for herself Mm mm-hmm but then we head back to reality, um, and Sumi and Shardul move in together into a secluded apartment complex, and they agree like, to s- super secluded. Yeah, it's like the it facing the woods. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they agree that they're going to split everything fifty fifty. And then Sumi's dad needs to have some medical tests done, and so he gives her a huge Tupperware <laughs> container full of his stool. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> Full of excrement. Like a takeout container. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's not a small one. No. Um, so she she brings this to the testing center. I guess she he was like, bring it on your way to work or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But she, she walks in and there's a very cute woman mm-hmm. working at the testing center. You know, she goes up and she's like, I've got this, I've got this stool. And the woman's <laughs> like, that is so much. <laughs> It's too much. And I think poor Sumi then has to go and, like, take a smaller sample of her father's stool. Yeah, I think so. Which I, yeah. Happy Father's Day, dads. (laughs) 
indeed. But so this woman, she and this woman, Rim Jim, they, they have kind of a good giggle about this, mm-hmm. <laughs> this way of meeting each other. Rim Jim tells her that she'll get the test results online, so Sumi's like, all right, I gotta come up with another way to interact with this woman so she mm-hmm. like she goes home she gets all dolled up she goes in another day and she's like i want to get a test done just any <laughs> test how about this one that costs 300 rupees uh-huh. um so she goes back to get her blood drawn and then rim jim's like do you really want to get your blood drawn or do you want to just go get a coffee <laughs> oh i love it <laughs> and they do just go and get a coffee which is great and we see sumi actually just straight up confesses to rim jim what her current situation is that she's in this mm-hmm. lavender marriage with shardle and rim jim shares that she came out to her family a few years ago her family then completely cut her off And they talk about how they wish that people wouldn't assume that their sexuality defines them. Yeah. Um, It's a common uh, through line um, across, like, a lot of the movies we've been watching lately. Yeah, almost as if that were reflecting reality itself. Hmm. Sumi and Shardle end up moving into a police colony because Shardle's auntie is, like, tells the police commissioner like oh you gotta find a space for them and so they have to move which now it's super frightening because they're like right in the thick of things and it's Mm -hmm. gonna be a lot harder for them to keep up this ruse meanwhile sumi and rim jim are getting closer and sumi actually invites her back to the apartment yeah and one of their neighbors actually sees her and so they say that she's that she's sumi's cousin uh who's coming to stay for a visit Mm -hmm. so rim jim basically moves in because it's like, Perfect. well, you know, my cousin's visiting. So here she's bringing in her suitcases and now she's staying. Yeah. As she's unpacking, Rim Jim comes across Sumi's passport mm-hmm. and she asks her why she has a passport when she hasn't gone anywhere. Um, and Sumi explains that she was previously in a relationship with a woman named Kamal who married a man yeah. and had a baby with that man. And then she returned for a time to live with her parents, and her parents lived near Sumi's and her family. So Sumi continued to have this relationship with this married woman. Kamal's daughter, Nanu, Sumi says, felt like her daughter. Yeah. She felt like she had a really powerful bond with, with her. And then Kamal's husband came back and took the family back to Delhi. And so this was obviously really heartbreaking for Sumi, and she realized that she wanted to have a child of her own. And so she agreed that she would get married, and she told her parents that they could find a match for her, but she was repulsed by her fiancé. She found it a challenge to be touched by him, which is very understandable given her sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. Um, She says that she even considered taking her own life, but then he died. So she decided to move abroad and adopt a child, but all of her applications were denied. And Rim Jim says, well, hey, I have a passport too. Why don't we both move abroad together and we'll adopt a child? Which they don't do, but it's very sweet and it's a nice moment of support from her and also just confirmation of like, yeah, I want to be a mom too. Like, let's maybe try to make this happen for ourselves. This movie was definitely more about having a child than I would have expected it to be, which is a very real struggle, continues to even be a struggle in the States Mm -hmm. um, for gay couples to adopt children. So, yeah, I appreciated that element as well. Yeah, me too. This movie was about a lot of things, and it managed to give space to a lot of what it wanted to to tell Mm -hmm. a story about. 
And then we get a montage of the three of them living together, Shardul, mm-hmm. Sumi, and Rimjim. We also see poor Shardul struggling to connect with Kabir. Kabir sort of seems to be distancing himself from him. Then Shardul and Kabir are at a hotel together. Kabir like totally bails on him, and Shardul gets upset. He overreacts and hits Kabir, and yeah. Kabir storms out and leaves. And Shardul tells Sumi that his first relationship was actually with an older man, but Shardul eventually got bored with him and started avoiding him, just like Kabir has now done to him. Mm-hmm. And... This made me wonder, like, I how common a relationship like this would be. It's almost like a, it's not grooming, but it's almost it's it is it's it sort of borders on that in a way. I, I yeah, think. like there is some sort of power differential, right? And that might actually be what you want yeah. if you're a younger gay person who's like, just trying to explore their own sexuality because. Exactly. Yeah, you can probably trust someone who's been living as a gay man for the past, you know, 20 years. Right, like choosing someone who has experience mm-hmm. with it, and maybe there's some comfort in that. So maybe grooming Because, like, a mentor... The, yeah. It, also it's, partner, yeah. Right, but but again, like, are there some, some off-power there might be dynamics some, there? Yeah. In both instances, it's the younger man who ends the relationship, so, mm-hmm. you know, what, wh- wherever it does seem like... These both have, may have been examples of unhealthy relationships, so we're glad that they're over and everyone can move on and hopefully end up with a better situation. Yeah. So then Sumi and Shardul go and spend Diwali with Shardul's family, and the family spends the whole time pressuring the two of them to have a kid. You know, they're all just shocked that how can you have been married for almost a year and she's not already pregnant? Which um, also must just rub in. Yeah. Sumi wants a child. Yeah. Well, like, we also know that she wants to adopt. Like, right. Jim suggests IVF, and she says, no, I want to adopt. I want to give a child who needs a home a home. Yeah. Sumi actually suggests adoption to Shardul, but Shardul's like, no, no, my family would never accept us adopting a kid, which, like... And that on. also seems to be something that comes up in movies we watch. I'm yeah. just thinking about that tragedy of a film, Circus. <laughs> Circus, yeah. Um... <laughs> It seems like a common conservative view may be yes. that adopt- adopting a child isn't an acceptable way of giving a right. child a, a child is your child in your family. Right. A child isn't your child unless they share your blood. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Sumi turns to Shardul to complain about the way that his family is treating her. Shardul is very dismissive of this and she calls him she calls him an MCP. And I didn't know what that stood for. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. But she's saying that he is someone who doesn't support women, who thinks women are inferior to men. Oh. And she's like, I thought gay men were supposed to be more sensitive and, like, nicer to women. And Shardle's like, well, what does me being gay have to do with thinking women are inferior? Don't all men think that? <laughs> And he's like, I still have my values, even though I'm gay. And, like, obviously I don't agree with this, but I do kind of like that they included this about Shardul's character. Yeah, he's gay, but he was still raised in this conservative society, and he can still hold these conservative views. And I think, again, 
not that I want someone like this to exist in the world, but they do. And I think right. showing that, like, just because you're gay doesn't mean you are all these other things, too. You can right. be a jerk. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, it's nice because I know, like, especially in Hollywood films, we always see, like, the gay best friend. Yeah. Whose whole job is to, like, support his female best friend. Right, yeah. <laughs> And, like, yeah, that's great, and obviously those people do exist, but just because you're gay doesn't mean that you're, like, super sweet and nice and peppy. Like, there's as much of a variety among gay people as there is among hetero people, because we're all just people. That's actually a really great, like, place to point at for where that stereotype may have begun. And, in fact, no, gay men and all people can have have an identity beyond Mm -hmm. this one thing. Yep. But Shardell's family decide that his mom has to go and live with them. Shardell's mom, whose name is Baby. So she goes to stay with Shardell and Sumi. This is very much sprung on them. Like, they're on their way to the train station. and Baby's just like, and I'm coming too. Yeah. Um, She's very much a pawn in the family's, like, larger games. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of love her. Because (laughs) she's so, like, affable. She's just kind of always sitting silently in the corner. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And certainly where we see her at the end of the movie. She's a lovable character. Yeah, I think she's supportive of her son and loves him. She's maybe a little bit dim-witted. Yeah, yeah. So this is a surprise. They didn't know this was going to happen. So Sumi and Shardell are desperately trying to get in touch with Rimjim to warn her and, like, get her out of the house. And she just barely doesn't make it out in time. And so... Baby walks into the apartment, there's Rim Jim, um, and they're like, well, she's someone's cousin. I uh, Oh, she's the neighbor's cousin. So Rim Jim's been everyone's cousin at this point. Yeah. Uh, but she, you know, she goes and, I don't know, Rim Jim, I think, still has her own apartment, but she's just- I think so. I mean, she doesn't have a home if she doesn't. I know. So she goes, she's safe. She's staying somewhere where she's happy. But so now we've got Baby living in the house, and she's getting instructions from Auntie, who- She's the matriarch of the family, and even Mm -hmm. though there is, like, a man who's technically in charge, she's, like, controlling him and telling him what she wants to have happen. So really, it's Auntie who's in charge of this family. Yep. Um, And she's, like, feeding instructions to to Shardle's mom to, like, get her to do things to get in the way of Shardle and Sumi avoiding each other. Like, basically force them to have a baby. (laughs) Yep. It gets weird. It gets very weird, yeah. She's, like, sleeping on the couch so that Shardell and Sumi have to share a bed with one another. And Sumi really just seems to be having a great time with all of this. Like, she yeah. just seems to be laughing about it, which I, I admire her for that. Shardell and Sumi do briefly consider having sex with one another. Yeah. <laughs> like, just once to try to get pregnant. But obviously that doesn't go anywhere because they're both gay. <laughs> so the next thing we see is Shardell... At work, and he's giving police protection to a gay, I'm going to say, wedding procession, even though we know that gay marriage is not legal in India Mm -hmm. currently. But it's a, you know, it's still a a wedding celebration. Yeah, it's everything but the, like, certificate. Yeah. And there is a particularly forward man Mm -hmm. who is a part of this celebration. And he's kind of, like, teasing the bystanders who are looking on a little judgmentally and sort of being like, hey, come dance with us. And Shardle's like, all right, this man's causing a little too much trouble. So he calls him over. 
and they lock eyes and they're immediately uh-huh. in love with each other. It's very um, sensual. Very sensual. And so um, he kind of swaggers over and Shardle's like, are you drunk? And he makes him blow into his hand. And this man, Guru is his name, just blows into his face. Yeah. Which I don't think is that sexy, but... <laughs> no, his breath probably smells bad. <laughs> Maybe he had just recently had some mints, yeah. so it wasn't so bad. Doubtful, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it works for Shardle and whatever works for him. Like, we're not in the business of kink shaming. Again, if it's your true partner, you know, you're attracted to their musk. So. I will say I am not attracted to my partner's <laughs> breath, but I love most of the rest of him. So See, there you go. <laughs> but then Guru's, like, final move here is to take out his business card and then tuck it into Shardle's shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a much more effective move, I think. I agree. But Guru, it transpires, is a lawyer, and he and Shardul, like, start to see each other around the, the workplace a little bit mm-hmm. more. Um, they have some very flirty exchanges. This is another kind of montage moment, and it's it's clear that they're starting to like each other, which is great. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sumi tells Baby that the reason that they haven't been able to get pregnant is clearly that Shardul's sperm count is low. Like, clearly he's, I think she says he's shooting blanks. Yeah. Um, and it takes Baby a little bit for this to, like, click. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't understand. But Sumi's... she puts it together eventually. Yeah, Sumi's like, your son's a young gun. Are you getting what I'm saying? <laughs> She's like, wait, but who is he shooting at? Yeah. Um... So they, they decide they're going to have him get tested through Rim Jim's, like, medical testing office. Mm-hmm. Rim Jim fakes the results to show that Shardul is infertile. Yeah, so with this this proof that Shardul is infertile, that they cannot have a baby through the usual means, the family gives their blessing for Shardul and Sumi to adopt. And Sumi is thrilled. She is so excited, and it's very sweet. Mm-hmm. Um but so they go to an adoption agency, they fill out an application, and then we see the, the two couples, Shardle and Guru and Sumi and Rimjim, go out to dinner together to celebrate. And Guru is very clear that he is going to stay out of the dad thing. Like, that's not what he's here for. He's just interested in Tucker Sr. Um, and just like everyone's excited, everyone's getting what they want, and it's great. Um, and so now that this is moving forward, Baby is able to move out of the house. And so the next day we see Shardle taking his mom back to the train station, but she misses her train. So he has to bring her back to the apartment, and he was gonna meet up with Guru, and so Guru like just joins them in the car. <laughs> and yeah. he he starts torturing Shardle by like hinting at their romantic relationship with each other but you know baby as we've said things go right over her head (laughs) and then there is a very drastic and very well crafted shift in tone when Mm -hmm. they arrive back at the apartment baby goes in first and there's just silence yeah because she has caught sumi and rim jim together in bed yeah just the way the camera moves through the apartment is mm-hmm. so like oh god it's like i'm getting chills right now it's powerful it. yeah you're yeah. just put in it mm-hmm. i you mentioned before that you really like a shift in tone oh i love a well done shift in tone mm-hmm. that's like my and favorite thing <laughs> i do too and this one was done really really well mm-hmm. that suddenly i was like oh it's been a while since we've had any sort of music 
and it's yep. just like one panning shot. Mm-hmm. And you just know, like mm-hmm. you see her standing there, like in the yeah. doorway, and you just know. And oh, it's so. And you like you feel the dread. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. But so Baby tells the whole family. She tells Shardell's family. She tells Sumi's family. Sumi's dad comes to take her back home. And we see her family totally rejecting her. Her brother mm-hmm. calls her a pervert. Her mom literally says she wishes that Sumi were dead rather <sighs> than be gay. And her dad just says nothing. He yeah. just sits there. And then he gets up and leaves, and Sumi kind of tracks him down. She goes to the Xerox store, and she's telling him, this is exactly the way I knew the family would react, except for the way you're reacting. I thought you would have understood. Because again, we saw that they had a close relationship. They were they were yeah. friends. And she begs him to say something, anything, even if it's, you know, that he's mad at her. And he just says, why did it have to be us? And he starts crying. Yeah. Ugh. And I'm like, you're a bad person who flirts with women in front of your daughter? Glass houses and throwing rocks yeah. and all that. Well, and it's also, like, acting like it's this curse. Right. Like, homosexuality is this curse, and why did it have to happen to us? Mm-hmm. And yeah. much, much like in Chandigar last week... Here is someone claiming that they love a person unconditionally, and then they find out one insignificant thing about that person, insignificant mm-hmm. in terms of why you would like or dislike somebody, and yeah. and all those feelings are gone. And then we see Shardell is with his family, who are also being awful. They're telling him, like, oh gosh, you should have known. How could you have shared an apartment with somebody and not known? His sister, I think, or maybe one of his cousins, they're, like, grossed out from because they shared a bed with her and because they uh-huh. changed in front of her. Again, just all this ignorant garbage. And Shardell finally is like, do you hear yourselves? Like, come on, this is natural. Nobody asks you to decide what your sexual orientation is. It just is what it is. And then he says, Sumi is a really nice girl. She didn't cheat me because you know what? I knew the whole time. And then he says, despite all of the love I've gotten from my family, I have been alone my whole life. Sumi was the only person I could live my truth with. And if you're repulsed by her, you should be repulsed by me because I'm gay. Yeah. And again, chills. (laughs) I Yeah, so powerful. A really, really well acted moment. And I also think, I think of the movies we've watched, this is the first voluntary coming out we have mm-hmm. seen other than Monvi, but that doesn't really feel like it should count because it still feels almost coerced in a way. Yeah. But, you know, thinking about how dangerous it can be for people to come out, um, mm-hmm. this particular coming out feels very, feels realistic to me because this is an independent man in his 30s. Right. Um, and he also goes into it expecting rejection. Right, because he's just heard all the bad things his family has to say about Sumi. Right, yeah. So then he he goes outside, he's crying, and he calls Sumi. Mm -hmm. And at first he can barely talk, he's crying so hard, but he he does then tell her that he did it. He told yeah. them. And then she's crying, yeah. but they're also both, like, smiling through their tears because in addition to being so heartbreaking, his family's reaction, it's also a weight off his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And when he hangs up the phone, he turns around 
and there's his mom standing in the doorway. I'm like literally getting choked up. I mean, and she, it's beautiful, yeah. And she just goes to him and holds him, and she's just like stroking his back while he's crying. Yeah. And it's it's a really sweet moment. And mm-hmm. then the song Hum Rong Hey starts to play, which means we are color. And Shardle is once again at work giving police protection, this time to a pride parade. And Sumi and Rimjim are in this parade together. They're, like, dancing under the rainbow flag. They see Guru, who, of course, is up, like, at the center of attention, dancing on one of the floats. Uh, But he comes down to dance with them in the street. Uh, And the three of them see Shardle. He's off to the side with his co-workers. And they start to kind of, like, well, Guru starts to sort of entice him out into the crowd. Mm Mm-hmm. And Shardle just kind of watching them, smiling at first, and then he turns to a person who is dancing nearby, who is holding a mask in their hand, and he asks for the mask, which mm-hmm. the person then gives him, and it's a feathered rainbow mask, and he puts it on, and he starts dancing. Yeah. And he turns to his colleagues, who are just like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And they, like, take a selfie with him, which is really sweet. And there are lots of great signs that we see in in Mm -hmm. the parade. They take a moment to kind of focus in on some of them. And the last one that they focus on says, legalize adoption for gays and lesbians. Mm -hmm. And then Shardle and Sumi, they meet up with each other, and they learn that their adoption application was actually approved. They go to their families, and they tell them they're going to re-enter their lavender marriage. This time, not for their family's sake, but so they can raise a child together. And they say that it's up to the families whether or not they want to accept them. And then we jump ahead a year, and we're at a ceremony where they have their baby, and the pundit says, all right, parents, put out your hands. And Shardle, Sumi, and Rimjim all put out their hands. And Shardle's mom is there, and so is Sumi's dad and Sumi's brother and a few other members of Shardle's family. And a couple other people come in. And Rimjim sees them come in, and this joyful moment turns a little bit sour as she gets up and she moves into the corner, and then we fade to black. But the movie's not over. And this got me, I remember this got me the first time I watched it, too. I was also (laughs) like, you can't end it here. I know. And I, like, for a moment I was like, okay, I guess they have to be kind of, like, bittersweet about it. They want to, like, keep the reality of, you know, that rejection happening. But no, we fade back into the scene and Sumi's dad tells Rimjim that she has to go back and sit in her place next to Sumi because a baby's mother needs to be a part of the ceremony. Mm -hmm. And then Shardle waves Guru over and Guru hesitates for a minute and Shardle's like I'm not asking you to be a dad I just like (laughs) I want you by my side and so he sits down and then we fade to black for real and there's a feathered mask behind the credits Mm -hmm. and that's the end of the movie yeah I just I loved how it turned to what a modern family is now yes yeah it's like it's like this beautiful mix of chosen family and just like real life in modern day. Like, yeah, yeah there's nothing wrong with a child having a father and two mothers. Like, yep. the yeah. more people who can love this mm-hmm. baby and take care of them as they grow up, the better. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's really beautiful to see. And it's also it's not a problem that Guru is like, I don't want to be considered no. a dad here, but I still want to be a part of this journey. Like you said, it's a really great depiction of family in its truest and purest meaning. And I also want to circle back around to when 
Shadow calls Sumi. Mm-hmm. Um, because that just feels so real. Yeah. It's just the fact that, yeah, you would call your friend mm-hmm. and say one sentence, and then there would just be silence yeah. as you're both just feeling this emotion together. Yeah. I think, yeah, the coming out process specifically is something that only another person who's been through it can really relate to. Right. And it's just wonderful that he had that person that he could trust and call and feel that with. Like, yeah. it's just beautiful. It yeah. is beautiful. I am so glad that you kind of highlighted that a little bit more because, yeah, there didn't need to be words. Mm-mm. Just being there with each other in that moment, even though they're not physically with each other, was was really all, all that was needed. And it's, it's yeah. really great. I was curious kind of what the critics' reception was of this movie, and it seems like it was a really solidly reviewed movie. Yeah. Um, Rajkumar Rao was nominated for several awards, and I think he won a Filmfare Award, maybe? Mm-hmm. He won one of the big ones uh, for his performance. And from what I could tell, a lot of the criticism of the movie was people kind of sick of movies that like portray queer people as like, oh, it's so brave to be queer, and like that being the way that stories... That these stories get told but that to me is less a criticism of the movie as much as it is a criticism of the times that we live in yeah no I'd agree with that and I think it's more like we can't wait for a day when that's not what these movies are about which we've talked about you know we yeah. can't wait for a day where it's just like here's a normal person's journey and also this happens to be how they identify but that's not what this story is about right I wanted to just say again, you know, thinking about the education thing, which which has come up in really all of the movies, the idea that one of the benefits that these films gives to the world is just putting terminology out there into the mm-hmm. mainstream. And there's an interesting moment that I didn't really talk about in the plot recap, but the cops are like rooting people out of the bushes, <laughs> like yeah. people who are hooking up in the bushes. And one of them is like, I got two lesbians over here. And then two men emerge. Yeah. And so, you know, just an interesting like choice that they made to kind of call attention to that. And there's also some interesting moments where they seem to be trying to create an understanding of gay sexual love. Like, there's a conversation that we overhear between Kabir and Shardal, like, arguing over, like, topping and bottoming. Mm-hmm. But it just, you know, it's interesting the ways that they, again, using terminology not in hateful ways, but just trying to show, like, you know, no, here are what these words actually mean. And also here are some under undertones and some hintings of the way that these people kind of relate to one another in their relationships. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, It's just kind of, yeah, sprinkling this stuff in and yeah. eventually it sinks in. Hopefully. So tell me what you learned for this week. So I researched pride yay per our plan yes um for how to round out the month we wanted to round out with some good vibes yes um which there are good vibes Mm -hmm. and it's not perfect there's mixed vibes Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. i wanted to start out by saying this fun fact that i learned okay just important backstory. So Pride did start in the U.S. in New York City, 1969, with the Stonewall Riots. Yes. Um, where a whole group of LGBTQIA plus people refused to vacate the Stonewall Inn when police came upon them. And it started out as a really amazing protest. And so the term Pride 
comes from Craig Schoonmaker, who was in the planning committee for the 1970 Christopher Street Liberation Day March, which was the march that was held on the year one year anniversary of the Stonewall riots, mm. because Christopher Street is the street that Stonewall Inn is on. Okay. So Craig Schoonmaker said, first thought was gay power. I didn't like that, so proposed gay pride. Mm -hmm. There's very little chance for people in the world to have power. People did not have power then. Even now, we only have some. But anyone can have pride in themselves, and that would make them happier as people and produce the movement likely to produce change. I love that. Me I really too. I love that. Even when you don't have power, it's such a brave thing to have pride. Mm-hmm. And to get with other people who also have pride in that, yeah. It, it, yeah. It's that community building. Again, yeah. that's, I think, at the heart of what pride is meant to be. So the first protest for gay rights in India occurred on August 11th, 1992, outside of police headquarters in Delhi. It was led by a group called AIDS Bedbehav Virodhi Andalon, which is also abbreviated as ABVA, okay. uh, which was the first HIV slash AIDS activist movement in India. Um, so they were there to advocate for people fighting against AIDS and HIV. And on this particular day, they were protesting against the police who had arrested men in Delhi Central Park on suspicion of homosexuality. Oh, okay. But two years later, in 1994, ABVA filed a public interest litigation with the Delhi High Court challenging the constitutional validity of Section 377. Mm. So a lot of people credit that first step with being what eventually, you know, or what started the push right. to overturn Section 377. Yeah, the long um, journey that that took to make that mm -hmm. happen. Which we already know all about. I know. India's first Pride Parade was held on July 2nd, 1999 in Kolkata. Hmm. And it's believed that Kolkata was chosen due to the city's history of being at the center of several different human rights movements. Hmm. And the parade was called the Kolkata Rainbow Pride Walk and was also the first ever Pride March in South Asia. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's got this real claim to fame. Yeah. Fifteen people participated. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. But All kudos to those fifteen. Here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm like, it's 1999. Yeah. This is the first of its kind, and you are publicly declaring, here we are. And it's such a small group, it mm -hmm. feels so you know, it's one thing when it's this big group and you can be so anonymous. You can be one in, in a crowd. If you want to be. Yeah. But when it's 15, like, wow. Um, and what they did was they visited various non-governmental organizations to talk about their concerns regarding LGBTQ rights. Mm -hmm. And that kicked things off. They, interestingly, they didn't do another Pride walk, and they called it walk because they felt like since it was so small, yeah. a friendship walk was more of the accurate terminology because they were sure. like, it's more so that people see us and we start to become part of the greater community. Yeah. But so they, they took a break, but then reinstated the Kolkata Rainbow Pride Walk in 2003. And okay. I believe they've had it every year since. That's awesome. Yeah. 20 year anniversary is coming up. Mm hmm. But yeah, and ever since then, there have been pride marches in 21 cities across India. That's 
That's awesome. Yeah, so Delhi, Mumbai, and Bengaluru held their first Pride marches in 2008, followed by Bhubaneswar and Chennai in 2009. And then there's a whole list, too, of like, and then this city started their Pride march in this year. But That's great. Just know each year more and more cities are holding Pride marches, so it's definitely becoming wider spread. To feature another specific city, Guwahati had their first Pride Parade in 2014 in response to the 2013 Supreme Court ruling to reinstate Section 377. yeah. And this is significant because it was the first Pride Parade held in Northeast India and was also organized by four women. Oh, I forget the exact date, but really the majority of participants up until, like, the mid-early 2000s, so, like, I don't know, 2008-ish, were men. Yeah. And then there was kind of a switch where women started to also attend and participate. So the fact that this Guwahati Pride March was organized in 2014 by four women is pretty significant. Yeah. And in its first year, 150 people attended. But four years later, 4,000 people attended. Quite a boost in numbers there. Yeah. It was hard to find. I was really looking for updated numbers Mm -hmm. on, like, pride attendance and turnout. Hard to find, I think, also because, like, COVID. Yeah. There was that Um, whole thing. Yeah. But for additional context of how participation has increased over the years... In 2008, the Mumbai Pride Parade had around 500 people. Mm-hmm. And 10 years later, in 2018, there were 15,000. Wow! That's so exciting! Yeah. It is becoming more widespread in terms of acceptance, in terms of people, I think, feeling comfortable to join. Exactly, yeah. Just being able to, to celebrate and, yeah, feel that pride is, is awesome. Mm-hmm. And what also came up a lot is police involvement in Pride. Mm-hmm. Uh, because whenever a group wants to do a march, they have to get the permission of the local police department because they have to shut down roads, they have to get their permit, all of that. And a lot of parade organizers were talking about how they might it might be like the day of the parade, and they don't know yet if they have permission to oh, wow. put it on. Yeah. So there's a lot of like nail-biting, last-minute things happening there. And also, the very people that they need to ask for permission are the same people who are potentially inflicting violence on them. Right. I wondered if the reason that there's these delays in confirmation of whether or not protection will be provided or whether or not it will be legal for them to do this is because they're kind of, like, delaying to make it go Mm -hmm. away. And not to say that that happens everywhere, but it does seem to be... It is something that came up in a variety of articles I was reading by a variety of different people. Right. And as there was one statement by a trans woman that just struck me and I wanted to include it, but she said, one day of pride, but 364 days of violence doesn't make sense. Yeah. That it's like, they're like, yeah, you have this one day and then tomorrow we'll be beating you We'll be beating you, yeah. That's uh, that's an excellent point. Yeah, and I also just thought it was interesting because Shardal is a police officer. Right, and as he says, he fears the police mm-hmm. more than actual criminals do because he is living his day-to-day life among people who may kill him if they find out 
who he is and and what he is or may beat him or imprison him or torture him and yeah yeah it's an interesting case of intersectionality Mm -hmm. like I understand why they didn't dig more into that in the movie but it would be really interesting to get a movie in the future yeah about you know a police officer who identifies as being part of the queer community yeah and it makes me think too of the couple who i learned about last week yeah uh, you know the two women who were both police officers who fell in love with each other and tried to live together and it doesn't seem like they were hindered from being able to do their job further from that point but Mm -hmm. it also didn't seem like their colleagues were chomping at the bit to give them protection and so at the very least it does seem like maybe there's this apathy Mm -hmm. towards what their colleagues and others are experiencing yeah i also read a 2020 article in vice written by nadia norresden on mumbai's pride march Mm -hmm. specifically the march that happened in 2020 Okay. February 1st. I really tried to find an article that was more recent, but again, Mm -hmm. I think COVID kind of disrupted some stuff. Sure, yeah. Um, So I wasn't really able to, but I think that this article brings up a lot of really important issues within Pride, not just in India, but that we also see in the States. Sure, yeah. But yeah, so the Mumbai Pride March was scheduled for February 1st, 2020. And whenever I hear February 2020, I also just, ooh. <laughs> it's like right before everything <laughs> fell off a cliff. Yeah. Well, in the U.S. It was falling mm-hmm. off cliffs elsewhere before that. So the Pride March was actually canceled due to police concerns about ongoing protests over the Citizenship Amendment Act, which was signed in December 2019. and provides a fast track to Indian citizenship for non-Muslim migrants from Afghanistan, Bangladesh, and Pakistan. Interesting. Um, Yeah, so I was like, what does this have to do with pride? Yeah. Well, it's getting very politicized. Mm -hmm. Uh, So QAM, which stands for Queer Azande Mumbai, which is the group that organizes Mumbai's Pride March, They held the celebration in solidarity with this act. Okay. So February 1st, they're like, okay, we're holding pride with the intention of of announcing our solidarity with this act and our support of this act. Okay. Not everyone in the queer community is supportive of this act because it is seen as being anti-Muslim. Right, it's clearly excluding Muslim people, so... Mm-hmm. QAM, they argued that the CAA, which is the, the abbreviation of this act, was addressing issues affecting marginalized people, which is in the spirit of pride. Again, it's not super inclusive, right? which is really what a certain set of members of, of pride are, are going for. Um, yeah. Inclusivity is kind of a big message with that. But so 50 members of the queer community who turned out to attend what they thought was going to be a pride march, but was a showing of solidarity for an act that they don't necessarily agree with, were arrested for sedition because they showed up with signs saying slogans like against the CAA. My understanding is at that point is kind of when the pride march was canceled, cut short. Okay. 
but yeah, 50 people for being, like, against the government. Yeah, wow. Well, and it's, gosh, it's just so interesting because, yeah, an act offering support to marginalized peoples when Muslims are very much a marginalized people in India, in the place where this parade is happening. And I think that's what a major part of the issue is, is that the people who were interviewed that I was reading about, they were saying, like, if you can't even focus on the marginalized people within our own country, how can I trust you? Yeah. As I said, QAM has organized Mumbai Pride since 2008, but they've been accused throughout, throughout the years of stifling the voices of specific people who want a more inclusive and political pride. Oh. Um, and when the police charged these 50 activists with sedition, QAM published a statement that distanced themselves from the political protesters. Okay. So they very distinctly were like, yeah, we're not with, even though they're the organizers of this event. Like, it is supposed to be this space where people feel safe to be who they want to be. And even, like, certain members in the queer community were actually encouraging QAM to report certain pride-goers to the police. Oh, wow. So we're seeing there's, like, this divide happening. People are turning against each other because they share one common identity, but they maybe don't share all of their beliefs. Yeah, exactly. And then there's also been an increase in transphobic comments online within the community, making young trans people feel vulnerable and uncertain that pride is a safe space for them. Ugh, that's terrible. And right-wing people, so we're really seeing a split between people who support the ruling party and believe in a Hindu nation, Mm -hmm. and then others who believe in a more inclusive community across India, really, Um, but even just within Pride. But uh, so yeah, right-wing people within the queer community say that political slogans put other people at risk, and that's why you shouldn't do them. I think because they're worried about being lumped in with what people are saying. Like, you know, I'm unclear about that, but other queer individuals argue that silencing only certain voices is its own way of politicizing Pride. Yeah. Yeah. Right, like you're be- clearly taking a stand by right. doing that. Like, right. Gearing pride towards being, like, a show of solidarity for CAA is taking a political position. Yeah. That does not necessarily apply to everyone who shows up there. Exactly. And then you're not allowing them to even have their voice be heard. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, pride is literally, its roots are in protest. Right, yeah. Its roots are in pushing the envelope and making your voice heard and... But you're, as you have to be protesting... The right thing. The right thing, yeah. Yeah. And so a young trans person named Ray R. said of QAM's version of Pride, we can't be anything else, display any other parts of our identity except this very celebratory, capitalist, queer person. Hmm. And yeah, this shows a growing divide in the Pride movement within India. But yeah, there's been some very prominent queer activists who have publicly declared their support of the Bharatiya Janata Party and a Hindu nation, which worries a lot of queer activists fighting for a more inclusive queer community due to how the ruling party's decisions affect minorities. Right. This is reminding me a lot of feminism. Yeah. 
you know, particularly like early feminism where it was like, well, we support women who fit into this very specific white box. Yeah. And those of you who don't fit in there, like your voices don't really have a place here. And it's not really about that right now. It's just right. about being women. Yeah. Meanwhile, there are people who can't separate those identities yeah. when they carry both. Right. And then, yeah, there's, like, the faction of feminism that's super anti-trans women. Like, right. Yeah. There's this growing transphobic sentiment. And again, bringing it back to the Stonewall riots, Marsha P. Johnson is, like, the mother of that movement. Mm-hmm. And she is a transgender woman of color. Mm-hmm. And so all of these people have been able to draw inspiration and be who they are off of her back. And now it's turning into like transphobia. Again, not everywhere, certainly not everywhere and certainly not in every corner of every queer community, but it's a lot to wrestle with. And um, many worry that there is a deliberate attempt by QAM and others to ingrain a right wing agenda in the queer movement. Well, it seems very clear that that is what they, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the transphobic comments made by more privileged queer people, typically the upper caste Mm -hmm. cis gay men who have been the focus of pride in the past, make it clear that there is a divide between who is accepted and protected and who is not. And again, I think trans people tend to fall into the not protected category um, when they are the ones who need the most support and protection. And yeah, and this article ends by saying, perhaps it's worth asking what Pride has achieved in this country and whether it has ever really amplified the voices of minorities or simply served as an annual party for only a certain kind of queer. Yeah. Gosh, it just, it will never make sense to me how a person or a group of people who have experienced what it's like to be hated Mm -hmm. can then turn around and hate others and it happens all the time yeah and I will just never be able to wrap my head around that complete and utter lack of empathy yeah and to say like I in my experience can be accepted as a queer person because I'm also upper caste and I also have all these other privileges I'm also Hindu I all -hmm. these things that put me societally above others and rather than turn around and take their hand and help them move forward and be accepted you're just pushing them back yeah it's very disheartening to hear and i I should have known better than to think that researching pride was gonna give us you know some good positive fun stories and i'm sure that there is still some joy to be found there is (laughs) there is Yes, I'm ending on a good note. Okay, great. Um, (laughs) Some 2023 Pride events to mention. So some of these uh, already happened. Some of them will be happening, like, next week around the time that this episode is coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, But the Kashish Mumbai International Queer Film Festival happened in early June. Um, And it is the first LGBTQIA plus film festival in India to be held in a mainstream theater and the first queer festival in India to receive clearance from the Ministry of Information and Broadcasting. Well, that's great. Right? Which I take to mean has been accepted. 
Yes. <laughs> by the local government. Yeah. Um, and this was its 14th year. Wow. So Chennai will be holding their 15th Pride March, I Great. believe, next week, focusing on the visibility of alternate sexualities and gender identities and affirming self-respect as a key goal of their Pride movement. That sounds excellent. Which is nice. And then India's first all-day queer festival by a hospitality chain, <laughs> okay, Satrangi Mela, is holding its third edition in Bengaluru. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know if it's been happening elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but it's focused specifically on promoting queer talent and queer-owned businesses, especially shifting attention away from the commercialized rainbow flag and putting the spotlight on underrepresented aspects of the queer experience, such as drag shows. All right. We love a drag show. Really, really fun. Yeah. Good things and bad things. Just like, just like always. Yeah. It is fascinating to hear how, just like in the U.S., really, the political climate in India has such an impact really on everybody's day-to-day lives and everybody's experiences and Mm -hmm. you know there are sort of the obvious ways that I had assumed that that was happening but to see this this kind of spider web effect of it impacting other aspects of life is it's disheartening for sure yeah but again I think there still are people who do get a lot out of pride yeah and they are able to find their community within that and yeah there's just room for improvement and I think it's why it's also important that as allies that we're aware of these things that are happening so that we can be better and more supportive allies and also be educated exactly uh contributors I want to say because not necessarily donors but you know contributing in whatever way we can to the things and missions and organizations that are actually going to help further the good parts of the pride cause right Yeah, so, Bollywood news, I have one thing. Okay. So my one piece of Bollywood news Mm -hmm. is that I recently learned that Shah Rukh Khan read the Archie comics. (laughs) Did you ever read the Archie comics? I mean, a little bit, yeah. (laughs) So, I was huge into them. Okay. Like, we had a giant box full of them and like I'd buy them when they came out in the grocery store like I know my Betty and Veronica and my Archie like I would reread them so that is why I'm so excited about it but the reason I bring this up is because it was through Shah Rukh Khan's Instagram Mm -hmm. that I learned that there is a movie coming out called The Archies directed by Zoya Akhtar Mm -hmm. I don't really comprehend what it's about or what the plot could possibly be because it was just a bunch of different renditions of Archie, I'd say, hanging out in the woods having a picnic. So Shah Rukh actually posted about this uh, several months ago. Oh. <laughs> um, if anyone who is an Archie fan like Katie is excited about this, I'm excited for you. Um, Shah Rukh Khan's daughter is in it. Oh. Um, and I get the sense that there's some real Nepo baby energy okay. <laughs> attached, to, <laughs> attached to this flick, um, which I think, I don't think that that means that we shouldn't watch it. And I don't think that that means that anybody can't be excited about it. I just think it's going to give us a lot to talk about. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think that's fair. I was like, I'm here. <laughs> but that's why Shah Rukh is posting about it so much, because his daughter is in it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I was like, wow, he really likes the Archie comics. He did say, <laughs> though, he used to pre-order them. Well, that's great. Like, he used to read them. That's it's, real. It's great to know that when you meet him, you'll have something to talk about. <laughs> so you know the Archie comics? <laughs> Who's your favorite? <laughs> it's Jughead, right? <laughs> Gotta be Jughead. Um... But yeah, that's that's my news. Super quickly, I just wanted to highlight a few fun things that happened while Katie and I weren't recording for several weeks. Um, mm-hmm. Just some fun stuff that cropped up on Instagram. Yay, Giovanni. Hey, Diwani. Celebrated its 10-year anniversary. Yeah. Um, there was a post with uh, the our, the four leads and uh, maybe some, some other folks involved with the film. I found it truly remarkable that all four of the leading actors look exactly the same as they did 10 years ago, except for Ranbir Kapoor, who has a beard now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But otherwise, they haven't aged a day. So good for them. I love that. Not that there's anything wrong with aging, but uh, it's impressive when people don't. Um, (laughs) And also the Bakshans, Amitabh and Jaya Bakshan celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, which is great. More recently, the IIFA Awards happened, um, I think, a couple nights ago, actually. Abhishek Bakchad and Vicky Koshal hosted, and Rithik won Best Actor for his That's performance awesome. in, what is it, Vikram Veda? Is that Yeah, called? yeah. Yeah. I did also want to mention... Femina India posted a really interesting thing about women and trans people in Karnataka being able to ride the bus for free. And I did some Googling, you know, Karnataka standing out in my head now with that being where the source of of Nanu Ladies, Mm -hmm. uh, our our film from a couple weeks ago. Not Kanada. (laughs) Yeah, and... um, you know, and thinking about how that movie has a lot to do with women riding the bus <laughs> yeah. in Karnataka. I, I wanted to read a little bit more about this. And yeah, it women and trans people can ride the buses for free. There are some like limitations on that. But this is not an effort by the government to empower more women to join the workforce um, mm. and also allow them to travel without needing to ask for money. And thinking about, you know, the patriarchal joint families that we have learned about. It'd be important for a a woman or a trans person to be able to make the choice to travel somewhere without needing to get permission. So yeah, obviously not Bollywood news, but cool news. (laughs) Yeah, important to bring up, too. That that feels like a win. (laughs) Yes, absolutely it does. Yeah. But that's it for me. Great. So, pluggables. Yay! Yeah. Follow us on Instagram. You know the drill. (laughs) You can find us at Two White Girls Talk Bollywood. Do whatever you want to do on there. You know, within reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you you know. Um, Also, you are always welcome to reach out to us if you'd like to send us a DM. We love it. We'll respond eventually when we see it. We appreciate it. And also feel free to subscribe or rate us or leave a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us. Uh, We really appreciate that when it happens. And regardless of whether you do it or not, we appreciate you. 
<laughs> exactly. We appreciate you. If you are hearing these words, that means you listen to our podcast, and that <laughs> means we like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, we hope you'll join us over on YouTube and Spotify, where we keep playlists of Bollywood bangers. Sometimes they're not from Bollywood movies, but that's okay. They're still <laughs> bangers. And basically our favorite songs from each of the movies we watch end up on those playlists. And we post links to those playlists on Instagram on Tuesdays, as well as in the episode descriptions. So come on over and have a listen. Yeah. Whoop, whoop. Next film, our episode is going to be dropping on July 4th. Yep. Which is the United States Day of Independence from, from the UK. <laughs> we wanted to pick a movie that still had to do with India, <laughs> but also maybe <laughs> America too, and the issues with our American country. <laughs> I was going to say specifically the motivation was a, 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 another movie set in America, but you're right that it. I think it... <laughs> worked out that we found something that had some other themes <laughs> we will be watching my name is Khan. yes so the movie's available to rent on amazon prime or on youtube it's like three or four dollars so not super expensive and it seems like it's a, a really interesting exploration of what it means to be human as well as american and indian and Muslim, and Hindu, and all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. And it came out in 2010. Yeah. So it'll just be interesting for us. I mean, obviously, we don't share like any of those identities beyond being American. Mm-hmm. But generally can say what the pulse of general American public feelings are. Yes. Um, and it will be interesting to see how it feels different and sadly similar to today Yes, in a post-Trump country. Also, the movie starring Shah Rukh Khan, uh, which always excited to have him back on our screens, and also mm-hmm. Kajol. Oh, yes. Who Queen. I, I have, I've been missing her. <laughs> I love her so much. Yeah, and we haven't seen this one before. No, this is going to be new to both of us, which is exciting. The plot description on IMDb is an Indian Muslim man with Asperger's syndrome takes a challenge to speak to the president of the United States seriously and embarks on a cross-country journey. So that's another interesting identity that this character holds as a a disabled Mm -hmm. person. Yeah, I'm just really interested to see how all of the intersectionality, that is the buzzword of this episode, um, how it comes across on the screen. Yeah, you don't want to know what the Amazon Prime description is just because it looks like whoever was writing it stopped midway through. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I even need to read it. Okay. Yeah, I think it'll be good. I have the feeling it's going to be a bit of a downer. I feel like it's going to be a hard movie to watch, but it's going to have a happy ending. Yes. And okay. Then, and then we get to reflect on the fact that I think it's set in the early 2000s. And like you said, how has life changed? Yeah. Maybe not so much. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think a lot of it is the post 9-11 experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Looking forward. We can't forward. wait to see you all back here next week. Mm-hmm. To discuss that. And until then, remember... Bollywood doesn't need us, 
but we need Bollywood.